The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. All right, guys, for today's episode, we are picking up where we left off last week. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode with the part one of Nan and Josh sharing about their jobs as infectious disease PAs, you might want to go back and listen before jumping into today's episode. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Pre-PA Club podcast. I hope you enjoyed the first part of hearing about what life is like as an infectious disease PA. Maybe that gave you some insights into what you would like to do in the future, or maybe what you would not like to do, and that's okay too. But these information sessions are really just to help you get a better understanding of what PAs are, what PAs do, what it looks like to be a PA in a different area. Um, and particularly somebody that you may not get the opportunity to shadow in person, but at least hearing about their job, you can have some of an idea of what the spectrum looks like for what a PA can do. So we're going to hear more today from Nan and Josh and some Q&A about their jobs um, and what infectious disease is so that you can have a better understanding of that. We try to do webinars and events like this pretty frequently to just spread information about the PA profession. So if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any of these events in the future, make sure you're following at the PA platform on Instagram. I'm at physician assistant on TikTok. That might change to the PA platform. I'm on TikTok, TikTok somewhere. Um, and then you can also be in the pre-PA club group on Facebook. We try to make sure everybody knows about all of our events going on all the time. So, all right, we will jump into hearing from Nan and Josh. And don't forget that you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any services or products or books at thepaplatform.com or prepacourses.com. See you guys next week. All right, so I guess this is where the real battle comes in, right, in terms of the inpatient life versus outpatient so I would say the pros of working in the hospital, almost kind of like a hospitalist ID, um, in a way you're kind of just on your own. You kind of make your schedule. If you're a little slow to get on the floor, it's okay, right? You're not rushing to see patients. You're not necessarily waiting on your patients either. You know, maybe 
I would say the only time you're really waiting on them is if they are going down for imaging or they're having a procedure and you might have missed them <laughs> that morning. And so you might have to come back and catch up on them later. But I would say for the most part, it is nice to kind of have that flexibility. Um, another great thing is you are not, you know, I would imagine with Josh, he has to order all of these labs and follow up. I don't really do that. It really depends on who I work with. But generally speaking, since, you know, in a way, this is a teaching hospital, um, we do have quite a bit of residents that are on the floor and it's encouraged actually. Um, and it really just depends on who I work with. But some attendings prefer that as ID, we're consultants, we make recommendations. We don't put the orders in. So a lot of times it's just kind of relaying that to the team saying, hey, this is what we recommend. Can you put those, you know, um, those orders and can you order this imaging? Um, like I said earlier, no call, no weekends. Again, this is not always the case. You really have to research the practice and kind of what their needs are. Another pro I would say to this is, you know, I kind of have this baby phase. And when I worked outpatient and ENT, I had a lot of people question me. Granted, we're all covered in masks now. So COVID is actually really helping me out with that. But I would say in the hospital, and I've heard this time and time again, people don't question you, you know, whether or not you show up in a white coat or not, they know you as a doctor or just as a part of their medical team. So they don't give you a lot of crap as they may in outpatient, um, you know, got a granted Josh probably doesn't have to deal with this as a male, but as a, you know, a petite female, this is something that I've been struggling with for so many years. Um, so in terms of the cons, what are some things I don't like? Uh, it's really tough. You know, one of the things I do miss about ENT is the continuity of care. Like, yes, it was a surgical specialty, but I dealt mainly with a lot of sinus patients. And so with those patients, I get to see them back every two to three or even four months. So I got to see them, you know, every once in a while, whereas here in the hospital, you know, you may see them, you may be stuck with them. Sometimes I think the longest resident I had was probably a month, like for a good chunk when I first started. Um, but it's sad because then they leave unless, of course, another infection gets out of hand and they get readmitted. But generally, I don't get to really know them. And as a consultant, I can't really build those relationships with them. So that is something that I definitely do miss. Um, critically ill patients, right? I This is something I don't know if I'll ever get over, but it's really hard to accept that all of a sudden you're consulting on a, a patient, you meet them, you, you know, kind of talk to the team, change up their antibiotics. And within 30 minutes, they code. And sometimes they just pass on you. And this is something I've had a few pass on me and still trying to deal with that. And so typically, if I can, I try to avoid the ICU patients. Um, but it does happen. I think another thing for those that are very type A, and I'm a Virgo, so all of the extremes, uh, not having control of your patient's schedule. So yes, sometimes it's nice. Yes, your clinic may be running behind, but you kind of have an idea of who's coming, right? In the hospital, I can't control who walks in, who gets admitted, when the teams will call me. So that gets a little bit challenged sometimes, but... And that's pretty much, I would say, the bulk of the pros and cons for me. What about you, Josh? Thanks. Yes. Uh, starting from the pros, 
definitely, as I mentioned earlier, I do enjoy building those long-term relationships with patients and seeing them from when their first diagnosis to um, getting to viral suppression. So that means getting the virus down to a level that's so undetectable that it's still there. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to remove HIV, but it is to a point where they cannot pass it to their partner and their immune system gets better. And that's sort of that education part of outpatient as well, uh, educating the patients on the importance of taking their medications, but also the benefits of it. As I mentioned earlier, we can cure hepatitis C now. And so it's also very important to get tested for hepatitis C once a year if you're under primary care. And we can cure it in 8 to 12 weeks. Also a pro, no call and no weekends when I'm outpatient. Actually, not even when I'm inpatient either. I think the the cool thing about ID is that most of the infections, if if it's something emergent or urgent, it's, it can be handled electronically as far as they don't, it's not like a surgery specialty where they're like, oh, I need you to come in and take a look at this foot and, you know, we need to prep them in tomorrow morning for, you know, um, amputation. Uh, no, if it's antibiotic related, usually we can just put an order in and just, you know, it, or it can be dealt with the next day, uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, let's see. Cons outpatients. Yes. So a primary care setting and other, my other PA colleagues who work in primary care understand that it can be long hours. My I have 10 hour shifts when I'm outpatient uh, in clinic. And so... And, but that's what I'm scheduled for. Sometimes you can go to 10 to 12 hours. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely a reality of primary care in any setting, not just in the HIV care setting that, uh, you know, I mean, on average, maybe eight to 10 hours for some colleagues, but others have said maybe 10 to 12 for them. And then of course, as I'd mentioned earlier, you know, doing all those administrative tasks, and certainly some people have protected time uh, to allow them to do all these tasks, but sometimes you don't. And so they can, you know, sort of be burdensome and weigh you down when unfortunately you have to, um, advocate and sort of fight to get an imaging for your patient or get a certain medication for your patient because their insurance company thinks it's not, uh, or the insurance company doesn't want to cover for it, but they then offer something inferior and you're like, no, my patient needs this. Um, please, you know, pass, please accept it. Uh, So yeah, that's just sort of dealing with other things, but um, that's more of my cons on the outpatient side. Hmm. Oh, okay. I can talk about this a little bit. Hanan can chime in. So uh, getting an ID, I know from Nan said she has worked in public health and uh, in that regard, uh, but certainly volunteering or working at your health department is a big thing that looks good. I actually, one of the PAs that was on my team, she uh, volunteered more of like a, not the health department, but more of a public health center that took care of LGBTQ uh, uh, youth. And also, uh, so doing things like that in, in HIV settings certainly looks good. I did more so research stuff, but I didn't do HIV research, but those opportunities are available. I did, um, you know, what's it? Uh, you know, cancer research and genetic research. And certainly that 
is something that looks good. Again, not necessarily the requirements. Uh, and like I mentioned, any employment you had related to the above uh, prior to going into school certainly looks good. For me, clinical rotations were kind of the big thing that appealed to uh, future employers or people I interviewed with. They definitely like to see the, the breadth of my uh, clinical rotation experience, especially when it came to the ID HIV stuff. And then many places, because this is an internal medicine subspecialty or because I work in a primary care setting, they certainly want to see that experience. So say in this, like non, she can talk about it later, how she went into ENT first, but some of my colleagues that I know, they actually did primary care first or some did internal medicine first, maybe a hospitalist or something like that. And then they got their ID job or something. So not these aren't hard requirements. It's not like something you have to say, oh, I got to follow this path and do this. But these are things that you can hit that would appeal to future employers or potential employers, certainly that would show your interest in ID as a specialty. Yeah, so I can definitely add to that. Yeah. Um, this is technically my second attempt at applying for an IV job. Right before I graduated, I had an opportunity to interview with Mayo Clinic and for an ID position. And in a way, maybe I'm glad I didn't take up that job. They ultimately um, offered it to someone internal, but that job would have required me to uh, take call and work weekends. So you know how that goes. Um, but I recall when I was still in school, uh, I met a PA that worked in ID at the, the Moffitt Cancer Center. And his recommendation, because I asked, I was like, oh, well, you know, how can I get a job as an ID PA after school? And I recall his words were, oh, it's actually tough to get into ID. I would recommend that you work in primary care and internal medicine to really build um, for those two years before considering to ID. And I can really see why. I mean, ID is so much built into internal medicine. So switching from a sub-surgical specialty and specifically ENT, but even more so with allergy and rhinology, dealing kind of with the nose and sinuses, this is huge to have to kind of relearn everything. Like I remember my first week and seeing an endocarditis patient and having to kind of relearn Duke's criteria and all of these <laughs> criteria and whether or not, uh, you know, and so it's sometimes haunting, but what I would say ID for someone that doesn't have that foundation, it's really internal medicine and really pharmacology. And so that gets really challenging. It is certainly overwhelming. Of course, I'm three months in. I don't know everything. And I'm just trying to at least learn the basics with the bread and butter. Um, but for those that don't know, what does it take to become an infectious disease physician? You know, of course, not talking the four years in medical school, but three years as internal medicine resident, and then two years as an ID fellow. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up for it because a lot of times, and Savannah, you probably can agree to this, that they don't teach you ID in PA school at all. Maybe, but not really, even in pharmacology. Yes, you learn some of the drug, antibiotic drug classes, but never into the extent. And although infectious disease, as we know, encompasses the whole body, when you learn ID in clinical blocks, it's never a big emphasis. And it's kind of funny because for your pants, your boards, what is it? On the blueprint is like 10%. 
But reality, it's built into all of those other subsurgical or other um, categories and specialties as well. So, uh, but yeah, so I would say my recommendation is if you, this is something that you might be interested in, even though I thought it was a very strong candidate, right? A master's in public health, infection control, working in, as an epidemiologist, and they didn't really care. So uh, I did see someone here mention that they work as an IP. And so, you know, and this was something that my chief, when I interviewed for this position, asked me again several times. Infection prevention and infection um, and infectious disease is kind of two different things. And so I would strongly recommend that if ID is something you're interested, it does your best bet is to try to really build your foundation right after PA school. Consider going to internal medicine, family medicine um, to really hone in those skills so you can really better adapt. Um, but anything is possible. Great. Ooh. Okay. So a little bit of, I guess, some pearls about ID, if this is truly something that you're interested in and sort of things that we'd like to share about ID as a whole. Uh, you know, the, given even before this pandemic, and like I said, with uh, HIV care, the advancements in research and antibiotics continues to be quite drastic in, in an awesome way. But as people as we work in ID, the studying never stops. So if you like to keep learning and keep studying, this is definitely the field for you. Uh, I am almost three years in ID and I'm still studying a lot of stuff. I mean, one, you're not expected to know everything. So I don't want to give the wrong idea that we're just some big nerds and we're like encyclopedias because certainly that is the uh, interpretation or reputation of ID people. (laughs) But uh, certainly... uh, the, the, if you want to keep studying and learning and new data comes out, obviously now, but as new studies and new treatment comes out, you got to stay up to date on it. And the other bit, guidelines are temporary. Uh, so keep that in mind, certainly in regards to, I think I just read someone mentioned something about gonorrhea treatment. I mean, when I early on, the you know treatment was just one injection, and now it's an injection and in oral antibiotics. And then over time, the dosages of both have increased. And so there's one. The other thing is HIV guidelines have also changed. I mean, before they would say you had to wait until your CD4, your T cells dropped below a certain level, and then they would consider starting you on treatment because the treatment was so toxic and they were worried they would cause more harm. But now that the treatment is great, guidelines have changed. Uh, Now, since 2012, guidelines have said, if you have HIV, you should be on treatment to, you know, protect your immune system and to prevent transmission as well. So, Again, and then another thing that Nan and I have talked about in another talk is treatment guidelines for, say, C. diff or for other, you know, infections. And even now, things have changed, you know, over the course of eight months. So, Just think about the pandemic, COVID, like that earlier on, Josh, I can't only imagine how guidelines were changing almost on a daily basis. I mean, I know just today our ID pharmacist sent us an email of the new recommended guidelines on some of those, um, you know, experimental um, or investigational medications. So, yeah. So yeah, if keeping up to date on stuff and thankfully it's not all resting on you. You have your colleagues to sort of lean on as well and your attendings. And so it's that collective knowledge and ID, which I appreciate. It's not all relying on you. You do have your colleagues that, that maybe they read something and they share it or something like that. Uh, like I'd mentioned also microbiology makes a comeback. And so, 
if you, I know microbiology is a big part of undergrad and I concentrated in microbiology as a, in my undergrad, but certainly that stuff about gram stains and certain plates and then growths, growth media uh, that comes up. And then uh, even little bits of microbial genetics and things like that has found its way surprisingly in ID, but it's not necessarily in a way that like affects the, I mean, you will learn, you know, sort of your role as the clinician and as that well, but if you want to do more research-based stuff or want to understand maybe the decisions behind certain antibiotics or behind uh, approaching certain infections, microbiology does play a big part. Uh, and then being okay with the unknown. I think we've touched upon this throughout the entire thing that uh, it's, we've, we've learned a lot and we're still learning a lot. And there's a, a I guess, I don't know. I've read them. Like sometimes the more, you know, the more you, or the more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. And so certainly that it's not just ID, but in other PA specialties as well too. Medicine in general. Uh, medicine in general. So we're learning stuff so much. Uh, and so I think that all sort of ties in together and that, you know, I, you know, being in medicine, uh, is not, uh, or medicine is definitely an art as we've, uh, you know, as you've heard, I'm sure. Uh, but it's, it's being able to apply that knowledge you've learned to learn more knowledge, accumulate more knowledge so that you can best, you know, um, work with that patient in front of you. All right. So, just wanted to kind of end on a note and kind of remind everyone, if you haven't done so already, I highly encourage that you go out and get the flu shot. And if anyone's going to dare challenge me and say, oh, well, non, the last time I got the flu shot, I got sick. Well, I will only take that. And it only depends on when you got sick, because reality is it takes two weeks for your body to build um, immunity. So if you got the flu shot and maybe two or three days later, a week later, you got sick. I'm sorry to tell you your bad luck. Please don't play the lottery because <laughs> you got sick before this. So, you know, go out there and get your flu shot. I think this message is really loud and clear this season, especially with COVID. I mean, we really don't know what's going on. And the last thing that you want to do is to end up in the hospital or in urgent care and you expose yourself. Maybe you didn't. It was just a bad cold or something. And now, boom, you're caught with both COVID and now possibly the flu. Um, and really, since we're all here and we're all pre-PAs, um, just think back. You know, why do we ask people to social distance earlier on? You know, why do we ask people to stay at home? And that initially was just to help protect our healthcare system, not to overburden our healthcare providers and the whole system as a whole. So really, I encourage you, if you haven't done so, go get your flu shot. For those that are in the South, I don't really know, but Publix is giving $10 gift cards. So go get your flu shot. Go get your chicken pub subs, um, especially unless you're a vegetarian, then I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but go buy yourself other snacks with it. Uh, I think Target does $5 gift cards. And so, hey, yes, I'm public health, but I really appreciate when stores incentivize you to stay healthy. So go and get your flu shot. 
And then these are some of the reminders from CDC. So of course, continue to wear your mask and please wear it appropriately. You know, covering your nose and your mouth, not below, not on your eyes, not down with your chin. I don't know what your chin and your neck has to be covered for, but <laughs> wear your mask appropriately. Continue to wash your hands, get that flu shot. And just remember that you have to play a role in helping, you know, not only keep yourself safe, but keeping your community safe as well. You have to be the example for your um, your community, essentially. And with that said, we have a special little video for you. Um, oh. It doesn't work? Okay. <laughs> Will that work? Then maybe... No. Cool. Can you open Did that up? work? <laughs> no, it didn't work. It didn't work? Did it play? I don't even know what happened. It's playing, but I don't hear anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's weird. It might be Canva. Sorry about that. Sorry, that's me. I have no controller on my computer. I can't even put myself on mute right now. <laughs> I realize. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll post that video up. Yeah, sorry. We were supposed to debut our little fun video, but we'll just post it on our Instagram in a little bit though. instead. <laughs> Use your imagination, I suppose. But There's all right, gone. so I guess... Uh, there's one more slide, I think. Yes. So that is our contact. I didn't put my email, but I think Josh and I are pretty great. Um, if you do want to reach me by email, it's just ampersand PA at Gmail. Yeah. Just message but, me on Instagram and I can give you an email if you have a lengthy discussion that you want. Yes, same. <laughs> a lengthy discussion. Well, y'all are awesome. That was like the perfect presentation. I feel like was so in-depth and answered a lot like pretty much all the questions that people had um let me look at the list real quick and see and I definitely want to respect your time of course because I know does everyone have y'all to work tomorrow I took off actually <laughs> so this worked out perfectly for me oh yeah yeah I'm I'm, I'm I took some time off because I got to vote tomorrow morning I'm going early yes and go vote this <laughs> election matters tomorrow and I'm working what a weird world <laughs> Right, the one day you have to work. <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay, not I do want to ask, just a lot of people had this question about, um, like, your switch, like, why you switched. I think you kind of over it in, like, the pros and cons, but, like, and not even, like, why, but, like, how that switch was um, since you, you took yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Sure, so... I previously worked at an academic outpatient center. So, you know, most ENT practices are private practice, but I was affiliated with the university. So we had residents. Um, and, part, you know, earlier this year, pre-COVID, I had an itch to kind of leave. I felt like I kind of outgrew myself there. Um, the practice model there wasn't great. I wanted more autonomy. And so I was applying and then COVID happened. And then to be honest, I was scared. I mean, I had an opportunity to go to another private practice ENT group, but when the governor all of a sudden sends out and, uh, you know, makes an announcement that he's going to shut down all elective procedures, well, ENT is predominantly elective surgeries. I was scared. I was like, the last thing I want to do is pick a position and then ultimately get fired. And at that time, you know, you've heard of so many stories of PAs um, that were furloughed, and I just didn't want to take the chance. And so here comes um, someone that I knew, right? I told you was a former um, 
uh, ID fellow in training at that time when I worked at the health department, the HIV clinic, uh, he kind of came out of the blue and asked, hey, there's a position we're looking for a PA, would you be interested? And so this is a common question that I tend to also coach, um, you know, my candidates when we do mock interviews. And I think this is something that's very relatable. So often we hear the terms that PAs, um, you know, have this lateral mobility. And so, yes, that's true, right? I mean, obviously I switched from ENT to ID. But I think the big take-home message that you really, when you're saying these buzzwords, and I call them cookie cutters because everyone says that. I mean, granted, <laughs> there's only so many differences of what makes a PA unique. But I want to caution you for those um, that are, you know, either in the interview process or will be interviewing soon. Um, don't just use these phrase, right? You want to have a good understanding what lateral mobility means to you. And in this case, it's really adapting to the community's needs. Clearly, the pandemic happened. There is a need for an infectious disease PA. So I took the opportunity to want to serve my community, although I had to move, but I took the opportunity to kind of go back to my roots and serve in that way. Um, the transition has been really rough, <laughs> which is why I don't post much about my ID life. Uh, but I'm here, I'm learning, I'm thriving. And again, I am the worst when it comes to beating myself up. And so I'm trying to remind myself that the journey it takes for a, an ID physician, you know, how they got there, you know, with essentially five years of training and my zero experience from PA school. And so I just have to be patient and realize that ID is tough and that I just have to read up as much as I can and just learn each day that I go. Um, so I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I think, I think you, I think you definitely covered it. And I mean, I'm sure you'll get more questions probably through social media, but um, all right, this one y'all can both do and I'll kind of, we can probably end on this and then I'll send you all these questions because you may want to address some of them on social media or I don't know, maybe we'll do a live sometime or something, but, um, and like Josh, I totally felt you with all, all of your insurance talk. They, they like to try to tell me what to do as well. And I don't like that. Um, but so um, what do you love most and least about being a PA? Can you oh, know? Just like generally speaking about being a PA? <laughs> generally. And I guess, I guess. Yeah, sure. to your job, but and I will say as a germ PA, I appreciate infectious disease. I don't have to call y'all often, but when I do, it's because something is just way out of my league. And usually it is something like super complicated, like, you know, an HIV patient with a weird rash with an infection with, you know, some type of allergy, like so many things happening that I'm just like, Ah, I don't know where to, I don't know what to do. And so infectious disease, I mean, they're like the like smoothest, coolest, like, oh, we got it. We got it. Thanks. Saving me again. So, um, yeah, I think I've only sent maybe, I can think of three patients I've sent to ID. Um, but they, like I said, all had just lots going on. So, Y'all, y'all are very, very valued. Thank you, Savannah. I think Thank we you. all do, and especially for you. I mean, Durham is not easy for sure either. So, 
we see weird stuff too when you throw in other things and just woo. All right. But yeah, all right. Least favorite, love most, and love least. Dislike the most. I don't know. <laughs> love most. I, I I just I think I just love the just um getting patients undetectable or virally suppressed. I think that's always a satisfying thing. A lot of us in ID enjoy doing, but I think that sort of stems into building those relationships with patients and seeing them over time uh, and seeing them get better or seeing them get worse. Uh, do love that. Uh, and so, yeah, building relationships with people. I think that's why most people get into medicine is to hopefully help people <laughs> or help the community at large. So being able to do that one person at a time, I love the most. Uh, and maybe I'll just say this again. I, you know, insurance is a big part of it and it's a whole nother sort of thing. Maybe I'll think about something else that I don't like. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess it's hard to, that would be the biggest thing is it's just, there's these administrative other things you have to do or sometimes in the electronic medical records, there's other things that, you know, you have to, sort of deal with like certain um, requests and other things, not necessarily prescription requests, but other things. Oh, other paperwork. Cause in primary care, you might have to do like family medical leave paperwork and um, maybe like certain like title 19 stuff or um, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, I just, I mean, I, it's important for medicine. It's important to care for patients, but at the same time, a lot of it can be, uh, kind of just like, ah, uh, like I mean, if, if I had to say I, that's something I didn't like, that would probably be some of that paperwork. But I don't want people to get the wrong idea that I do this every day. It's seeing patients and doing orders and following up on stuff. I, that's the majority of my time, but I get this sprinkling of administrative stuff. Very important part of medicine and patient care, but at the same time, yeah, it's not something I love. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't go in to do more paperwork, but it is a necessary part of life. Uh, for me, I would say, like most people would say, you know, joining the PA profession to really be able to bridge that gap and provide access to healthcare for the communities. You know, that as the boomers, um, you know, that generation is essentially retiring the near future, we have a lot of shoes to fill. Um, so I think that's definitely something favorable. Um, least likely thing about the profession, I want to speak specifically about PAs and not so much medicine. Um, I think we've gotten better, especially with PA week. I would say for the first time, I've actually seen a lot of people speak on advocacy. And so for those that have been following me on Instagram, you guys know, I'm really passionate on this topic because I think we needed to, to do better as there continues to be more programs and more PAs out there. We really need to band together and keep moving our profession forward. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. And like I said, I'll send you these questions so y'all can look over them and maybe address some of those on social media. And wait, don't y'all have a podcast now? Or did I, set up? I feel like I don't pay attention to stories well enough. And I thought, like, wait, what? is that y'all or just you, Don? Oh, no, it's, it's really, I think Josh is kind of the brainchild behind making this happen. But yes, we do have a new podcast. I think there's four episodes out. We haven't had yes. a chance to uh, record much since week, but um, it's called Family Time. Josh, we do the honors. Yes, it's family with no P and no spaces. 
And it's it's definitely our uh, our Did fun no thing pee? we like to do, huh? I said it's pa- just... it's family with a P. Oh, okay, I just said no P. <laughs> no spaces. Maybe there was a delay, but it's it's not a medical podcast per se. I mean, maybe we could use it to to answer some of these questions. I think mm-hmm. that we could cover a lot, and that'd be an episode in itself. But uh, certainly, it's our time that we do to sort of one talk about our experiences growing up at, as Asian Americans. And then our little fun things that we like to do outside of medicine. And we have featured other PAs on there who we consider part of the PA family or the family. Uh, so uh, definitely a lot of exciting stuff coming up. And we plan to interview people outside of the PA profession as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we, uh, I saw you put it in the chat. So we'll, we'll send that out as well. But um, yeah, thanks so much, guys, and thanks everyone for watching. And go get the replay um, tomorrow. I guess tomorrow night. And feel free to you know share with your pre PA clubs and PA friends. And um, stay tuned for the next one. I don't have it scheduled yet, but we'll try to do another one soon. So, all right, happy happy weekend. Go have a long weekend, you guys. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Savannah. Really, I know yes. this has been Thank a crazy you. week for you. So I really appreciate you taking the extra hour to Did chat with us. But no, y'all, y'all are awesome. So thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Bye, guys. Have a great night.